Hello and welcome to Cybercrime Investigations. The Billion Dollar Bank Heist with Jeff White and Glenn Goodman. So, um, so the money gets taken out of Bangladesh Bank. That's where we are. Yeah. Goes to the Philippines. Philippines. But the whole $951 million, that some of those get trans- uh, stopped, those transactions. So basically, yes. we've got a situation where $80 million has been stolen and hacked from Bangladesh Bank. Yeah. And the big question then is who, who's behind it and who's, who's, who's part of this? Who is behind <coughs> it? Who did that? Who day? Who do? <coughs> who hell he? So, so the Americans, the FBI... Have, were investigating a number of different hacks. Yeah. Um, and the Bangladesh Bank case starts to feed into all of this. Mm. Um, do you remember the hacking of Sony, Sony Pictures Entertainment? Do you remember when that happened? Ah, uh, no. Right. This was this was twenty four late 2014, so it's a few months before the Bangladesh Bank job. Right. Do you remember there was a film called The Interview, which was a mocking film about Kim Jong-un? Do you remember this one? Yes. Yeah. I never saw it, but I know the film you're talking about, yeah. Can't recommend it. Wouldn't be in my top five, that film, I have to say. It's a sort of gross-out comedy, basically. Yes, he wasn't keen, was he, Kim? Kim, well, no, it's, as it turned out. Um, so in the, in the run-up to the release of that movie, Sony announced that it had been hacked. Um, and then very, very sensitive emails started leaking out of Sony. Now I remember yeah. the Sony hack, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. So basically, um, the hackers broke in, they, they started leaking information online, and, and they leaked very, very sensitive emails from within Sony. Yes. So you I had executives that. at Sony appearing to slag off famous film stars and all that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. quite a scandal, wasn't it? It was, it was. Um, and it, it, I mean, that hack was, the way they leaked the information was remarkably astute. So they leaked it in batches. They didn't just leak all the emails. Mm. And they saved the senior, the most senior people's emails they saved to last. Right. So you had very senior people saying, oh, don't worry, we'll sort it out, you know, and trying to reassure people. And, and that put them in the spotlight. And having put them in the spotlight, the hackers then went, oh, that's their emails. Wow. So it just astonishing takedown of Sony. But in the wake of the hack, a few journalists were like, oh, well, there's this film about North Korea it's you know mocking North Korea. That's obviously why it's North Korea have hacked Sony, and, and that's why. Mm. And I'll be honest, at the time, I had a fair amount of skepticism about that because I thought, well, this doesn't seem to sort of it didn't seem to stack up. And the hackers themselves, it was only later on that they said, oh yes, this film, the interview, were annoyed about that. That wasn't their initial justification. So it felt like a journalist putting two and two together. And getting five. Right. And the hackers kind of going, oh, yeah, okay, we'll just use that as our... Exp-. It seemed like a retrofit explanation. Okay. But when the FBI started investigating, they've now released an indictment against not just the people who hacked Sony, but they think they're behind a whole bunch of other hacks. The FBI went back in time. They discovered um, there was a letter that was sent, I think, to the United Nations by North Korea saying, this film is mocking our great leader, we cannot have this. There were attempts to hack into Sony executives' Facebook accounts. Right. And what seems to all of this, a lot of this was done by the hackers using Gmail addresses and Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts. Yeah. Which, of course, think about it, these are American companies. So when you use those services, when you use a Gmail address to try and hack somebody, 
what the FBI could do is go to Google and say, look, can we, can, here's a warrant. Can we get the contents of this account? Yeah. And so, so, so whoever was doing all of this hacking was clearly using a lot of American services, Facebook, Google, Twitter, and so on. And the fingers at that stage started to point towards North Korea. So the Americans looked at the IP addresses that had been used to log into these accounts and to register these addresses, and they started finding North Korean IP addresses. Ah. And because the interesting thing about North Korea is, is, obviously internet access is massively restricted in North Korea. Mm. So your gateways from North Korea out to the internet are really limited. They have a few, maybe a few thousand IP addresses mm. compared to the millions we've got in the UK. So as soon as you use one of those IP addresses... The surveillance is all over the place. It's, it's all over it. You, you, you know, it's very difficult to hack from within North Korea because your window to the internet is so small that it's really easy to monitor. I see. See what I mean? So the, so the Americans started looking back at the IP address and started, the fingers at that point started pointing uh, towards North Korea. And it's interesting, I mean, you know, the North Koreans hate America, a lot of them are taught to hate America, and yet Gmail and Facebook are still the services that they rely on. It's fantastic. But also, why would they want to hack Bangladesh? Is Bangladesh the great evil like America is? Well, this is the interesting thing. So, so um, uh, there's an interesting timeline here. If you think about the hacking of Bangladesh Bank, yeah. it was about money. They stole money. They were trying to get a billion dollars. And even though they didn't get that, they still got the best part of $81 million, right? Right. Now, if you look at what happens before this in the years leading up, do you remember North Korea was doing all those missile launches? Uh, they're always doing that. Well, yeah. whenever, whenever they're remotely upset about anything, like, say, a film about yes. North Korea, <laughs> just do a few missile launches. It's like your dad storming off into the garage to do some DIY. I'm doing some DIY, and you, know, you don't see him for two hours. Um, but there was a spate. There was a spate, which I think was something like six in a year. There was a big spate of them. And it was quite shortly, I think, after Kim Jong-un came to power. Yeah. And I think this, his idea was, I will, you know... I will. Well, he did one of those launches at his own uncle, didn't he, or something? Uh, the anti-tank gun that got fired yes, at the traitor, right. yes, yeah. Um, was that his uncle that got blown up by the anti-tank gun? I forget what it was his uncle. The, there was an uncle who was poisoned in uh, an airport using VX. Now, that was nerve his brother, agent. wasn't it? His brother? I get confused. Was that an uncle? Anyway, look, paraphrasing, <laughs> relatives of Kim Jong-un have met untimely deaths. That's the... <laughs> But the missile, so the missile launches happen. We then start putting sanctions on North Korea via the United Nations. Mm. And in 2013, there's a sanction, which is sanction uh, 2094, resolution 2094. Yeah. Which, of course, is... Uh, oh, oh, you scared the hell out of me there. I thought, really, I'm supposed to know this. I am not expecting that. Isn't it from my GCSE uh, history? Um... 2094 was interesting. So what, what it said was we are cutting off North Korea's access to bulk transfers of money and the international banking sector. I'm amazed they hadn't already been cut off well, on this, those things. This, this was even heavier restrictions. So basically what they're saying is we are turning off the money taps for North Korea. Right. Think about it. A couple of years later, what are North Korean hackers allegedly doing? Hacking into banks and stealing tens of millions of dollars. It was a heavy financial motive. So you, you ask the question, what are they doing hacking into Bangladesh Bank? Well, the answer is they're stealing money. Yeah. Allegedly, according to the FBI, it's North Korea stealing money. And if it is North Korea, this is a country under sanctions that's meant to not have access to bulk transfers of money. Well, ah. when you're a hacker, what do you do? Bulk transfers of money. Mm. So the Americans start putting all of this together. And, and what's interesting is... 
it's, it's often only in hindsight that you put, start to put stuff together. So writing a book's good because you kind of work out, you start to add things up and, and you've got the, dis, the benefit of hindsight. Yes. So I started looking at other Swift hacks because the Swift was the software that the hackers hacked into to make the transfers. Yes. And there have been a number of Swift attacks. So Swift has been a focus for hackers for a while. But if you add up, there's different attributions. So there's a hack that happens here and it's about Swift and it's blamed on North Korea. And there's a hack over there that's Swift and again it's blamed on North Korea. If you add up all of the hacks that happen that are blamed on North Korea that involve Swift, the total amount that they tried to steal was $1.2 billion. Right. Which if you think about a country under sanctions... An extra billion dollars of money, particularly when your GDP is like North Korea's, that's quite useful money to have. Oh, yeah. If it is North Korea. Now, there's, there's, that's the bad news. The Think good how many news, missiles you could build to fire into the ocean. Exactly. And that's, and that's the other thing interesting about hacking for North Korea. If you think if it is North Korea that's behind all this, yeah. you just need a computer and a gifted person. You'd have to spend megabucks on tanks and guns. You know, you can effectively dodge sanctions by, by recruiting gifted young teenagers with computers or young people yep now the, the good news about this is 1.2 billion was the amount they tried to steal now in the case the Bangladesh case we've been discussing it was it was about a billion dollars they tried to get and they got 81 million so what they tried to get they don't actually get they tried to get 1.2 billion dollars what they actually got was 122 million dollars right so near enough exactly a tenth is okay. what they end up with However, that's still $122 million allegedly going towards a regime that's under international sanctions. So, good news, bad news, good news. You know, <laughs> it's, not, it's not ideal, is it? No. Um, but you wouldn't get many missiles for $122 million. You wouldn't. You, you wouldn't get much change. You wouldn't get much change. But it's still money that is, again, according to the FBI and the UN. What's amazing is the banks around the world that have been hit using their SWIFT systems... and. You, you know, you talked about Bangladesh Bank and the Bangladesh not being a wealthy country. The countries are places like Ecuador, India, Bangladesh. They're not. They're places where they don't. They're not blessed with a massive amount of money. They're not blessed with a massive amount of, of, of tech security necessarily in these individual banks. They're not, for example, going after Germany, for example, or the U.S. You know, places mm. where there's very rigid kind of. Do you see what I mean? They seem to be targeting softer targets. Yeah. And the Indian case. Is that there's an amazing case in India of a bank called Cosmos in India, which again was a swift hack. But in that case, according to the UN, they didn't just hack the swift system and do money transfers. Yeah. When they got into Cosmos Bank, they realised that they could manipulate the cash point system. Okay. So when you put your cash card in the in the the, the cash point. Um, there's a there's a, a trail, like a breadcrumb trail, that goes from you putting it in the cash point all the way to your bank, so HSBC or whoever you're with, yeah. that says, oh, Glenn is, you know, outside Spearmint Rhino again, getting more tenors. <laughs> <laughs> He's asked for the notes to be in £5 denominations. You know, there's like a trail that leads from wherever you are in the world yeah. to your bank. So you can never get fivers out of a cash machine yeah, these you days. You can't. So you have to go to the newsagent, swap them for the fivers, and then nip back into, into <laughs> spearmint, don't you? I'd imagine that's what you could do. Anyway, um, so so what the hackers had done, they broke into the bank and they got access to the, to the ATM bit, the cash point authorising bit. Yeah. Which, when you think about it, means effectively they could make it so that you could put a card into any cash point anywhere in the world and the Cosmos Bank system would authorise the transaction, even if you, even if the card was a complete dummy, complete fake. It, right. they would, it, literally, it is 
a, what's called jackpotting. The cash point will pay out no matter what you do. Mm. So what they did next was 10,000 transactions in 28 different countries over the course of a weekend. Wow. Yeah. That must have involved quite a lot of manpower and yeah. woman power. Yeah. And the other thing is, think about it. You've then got, let's say, 28 countries. Let's say you've got a team of five people in each country. That's, what, 130-odd people yeah. who are sitting on piles of money, adding up to millions of dollars around the world in 30 different countries. How are they, they going to post you the money? How does this work? Again, there's a network here. You'd also think somebody <laughs> might give the game away when you've got that many people involved. Well, but they're all getting a payoff. So again, you've got to pay these people off. Well, I suppose the mafia's got a lot of people in it. And yeah. they, they don't snitch that often. Exactly. So is, it, is, it, is there a new form of mafia or is this a modern mafia? How does the cybercrime stuff... Because ha- again, hacking the bank takes maybe a few hours, a few weeks, whatever... But getting the money and laundering it then takes months to do. And it's, it's people around the world. This is the interesting thing, like the cybercrime link with the money laundering world. Yeah. I just think that's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So anyway, so this was, if you like, the pinnacle of the bank jobs that they did. There's dozens of bank jobs and they're increasingly being attributed to, uh, to North Korea. So who done it? Do we know specifically? Or well, just <clears throat> some people in North Korea, probably? Interestingly, so that the Americans, when they started investigating, as I say, the hackers were using Gmail addresses. So clearly, it's, it's almost beyond doubt in my mind that the FBI have gone to Google with a warrant and they've got this information. You know, said, give us the information. What they found in one of those Gmail accounts was a CV. Mm-hmm. Because, again, hacking from North Korea, as I said, is difficult. What North Korea's hackers will reportedly often do is go over the border to China or to other countries and hack from there. Because, A, it throws the scent off because the hack appears to come from wherever it is. But, B, China's just got more IP addresses to access, has got more exposure to the internet, a bigger forest to hide in. Yes. So this hacker's going from North Korea to China. His CV gets sent to his new employer allegedly a front company in China, with his name and his photo on it. So as part of the FBI's indictment, one of the people they've indicted is this chap called Park Jin-hyok, who allegedly is part of a North Korean government hacking team, who is off on his way to China to join this company to do his hacking from China. Why did he reveal his true identity to the new, in inverted commas, employer? You tell me. You tell me. I, I, I don't understand why you would do that. Um, North Korea, by the way, has responded, we'll come on to their response more generally, but on this specific point, North Korea said this person doesn't exist. Um, but there really is a picture of him with his, you know, anyway. Um, so that's, so in terms of who did it, that, that there is one name out there. But I mean, North Korea, you know, as I say, the Americans have got an indictment out. This is a 179-page indictment against North Korea. And it's the Sony job, and it's Bangladesh Bank, and it's also the WannaCry attack, which we've discussed before, the ransom yeah. attack. They've tied all this together. They've said, look, there's common email addresses used, common IP addresses used, common bits of code used. It's a very, very, very thorough indictment. And for people like me, who, when the Sony hack happened, said, oh, go on, prove it's North Korea, I bet you can't. Yeah. Mm, it's kind of difficult. You look at this and you think, oh, that is quite a lot of evidence, actually. <laughs> um, and but it's then, an indictment. All right, so they put together all those indictments yeah. and 179 pages and all it's the a rest compla- of it. Actually, and it's then... a complaint, I should say, not an indictment. I well, think exactly, because yeah. how do you indict yes. North Korea? Yes. Uh, that's, that's the problem, isn't it? Yes. I, I guess they just said, you're the great Satan, please go away. This is the thing, North Korea have... There's been a couple of North Korean officials who've responded um, about this, because obviously there are now increasing accusations, and they have, as countries tend to do, denied any connection with criminal hacking, and said this is all a smear campaign against them. 
I just felt that, um, like as a journalist, I don't like going off the back of other people's stuff. So I don't like quoting an official who was responding to another journalist. And you know, I like to have my own. You want to put in your own questions, and you yeah. own, you want to get your own response. Sure. Because also, I'm worried that if I quote, you know, such and such a North Korean official giving such and such a response. North Korea might come back to us and say, well, actually, that's not our response. And you should have come to, you know, you should have approached us. I, yes. I think it's fair to be a responsible journalist to go to people and say, come on, it's you. What's your response? You, you definitely know. Want, don't want to defame North Korea. I mean, well, I just, that they'd be hurt and you'd feel guilty. I, I, <laughs> I, I get where you're going. Look, North <laughs> Korea is a sovereign state. And I would not defame, for example, the UK without at least going to GCHQ for response. I just think it's fair. Look, they are a country in the world, regardless of what you think of them, they're a country and they deserve a say. And and also this whole thing of all oh, North Korea's creepy hacking army. Well, the UK has a hacking army. We have hackers who work for us. You see, I, I wouldn't take that view. I, I don't see them as a kind of a sovereign state who deserves any kind of respect. I see them as a as an open prison. Mm. Uh, well, not even an open prison. A closed yeah, 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 prison. Very much closed prison. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've read I've read enough misery memoirs yeah. from North Korea to know what the place is like. It's 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 a prison, pure and simple. And and, and I get that. And I'm I'm in no way a booster for North Korea. And, and you know, sure, you don't want to. It, it, I find it a fascinating country. That's another uh, podcast, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff goes to bat for North Korea <laughs> against Glenn in defence of Kim. Um, <laughs> no, I look. I'm no fan of it, but as I say, I just think as a journalist, and also I've got stuff I want to ask them about. I want to say to them because I know they'll turn around and deny it all. But I want to say, okay, here's the IP address. Here's the Gmail addresses. Explain that. I want to get their response as much to test what's going in the book as as, as, as anything else. So I set out to interview North Korea. Yeah. Which is <laughs> which isn't easy. Dear North Korea. Dear North Korea. Are you available on Tuesday <laughs> at 11? Cuz cuz the other thing that's interesting about this is North Korea as I say not a country famed for its internet access and its internet community, right? No. How does North Korea become one of the world's greatest hacking powers, hacking into Bangladesh Bank and so on? How does that How does that YouTube they watch, you, they watch YouTube, YouTube videos. tutorials. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's interesting because I've spoken to a few people. I spoke to one guy who's taught in North Korea. He's taught at Pyongyang in one of the privately funded universities in Pyongyang. Oh, yes. And he said, look, there are computers. It's just that there's almost an inculcated sense in North Korea that you don't stray. If a teacher tells you, use this computer on the Internet to look up that fact... Yes. That's what you do, and then that's that. Well, I saw uh, on a documentary where somebody uh, was allowed to film at one of those private schools. Mm. I saw what the computers are like that yep. they use, and it was kind of, it reminded me of us in 1992. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just kind of basic browser, basic kind of Microsoft Word type mm-hmm. package. Yep. It was all very kind of, yep. you know, clearly special software that had, yeah. that was basic and had been made just for certain purposes. Yep. So how on earth would they, as you say, learn all apart from YouTube? <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe that is YouTube tutorials. Maybe that is where they learnt their sophisticated hacking techniques. I can't imagine that it was through experimentation on their rubbish little walled garden. No, exactly, exactly. And look, the people that you're seeing filmed in those documentaries and the people that the guy I spoke to was teaching at the university, they are obviously not the government hackers. Yeah. What's interesting about this is we sort of take it for granted in the West that, you know, there are young gifted people with laptops and, you know, we can recruit them and they will learn. Generally, people tend to learn hacking skills outside of school. It's still the case. Yeah. In North Korea, there is not, they don't have laptops at home. They don't have internet access at home. So 
pretty much all computer use in North Korea, for the bulk of people, comes through the state, through the education system. Right. So they look out for gifted youngsters at a very early age. If you're gifted in maths, if you're good with computers, and you get streamed off, and you get ah. exposed, and you get given computers. And, and they cer- take you into the special computer <coughs> the special room computer that doesn't, doesn't have firewalls and all the rest of exactly. it. Exactly. So and a certain percentage of them will be creamed off into military hacking units. Right. Um it's still remarkable to me that, that there's a level of of acumen to, A, do the Sony job, which from a PR point of view was, was very, very astute, to code and release something like the WannaCry attack. You know, if this is all coming from North Korea, they're way more advanced and more gifted than I think people would have given them credit for sort of five, five ten years ago or so. Mm. I mean, Kim Jong-il, the, the previous leader, he knew cybersecurity. He knew that hacking was a, was a useful thing. He's, he's a been quoted as saying, you know, computers are, are, are something that we really need to get on top of. And obviously Kim Jong-un, a younger generation, he knows this as well. And like I say, it's, it's, you can spend so much less on computer hacking. For the, the, your bang for your buck is so much greater, isn't it, with computer hacking than spending millions on a, uh, an intercontinental ballistic missile, for example. Yeah. So, this, so as I say, all roads are leading to North Korea. I'm interested in getting North Korea's response um, on this. So I emailed them. Obviously, um, <laughs> emailed the press office. There is there is a foreign ministry website has email addresses on it. I, I tried them. Um, there is an embassy. Uh, you can fo- I phoned. I left a message. Um, mm. I, I emailed. They have a Yahoo email address. I found that intriguing. Did you get a, a case number <clears throat> from customer services reply <laughs> did you, did you on your email? No, no, got no, I, a literally blank wall. Not unex- I'm not stupid. I wasn't. You know, I was kind of expecting this, but I thought, well, the last ditch thing for a journalist is. Knock at the door, you know, and in a way that's. But you've done this. I mean, you've you know you you've done the doorstep thing where you you know. Yeah, not at North <laughs> Korea's border. <laughs> I mean, do they even have a door? I didn't go, unsurprisingly, to North Korea. They they have an embassy in London. Oh right, okay. Uh, I in, didn't think of that. I would have gone to North you would have Korea gone to and tried to find a door to knock on. Um, uh, yeah, they have an embassy. Um, it's in Ealing. Oh, oh, of course I know yes. because they. They uh, occasionally send flunkies out from that embassy to complain about local, um, like there was a local cafe in Ealing, wasn't there, where they had put up a poster that took the mickey out of Kim (laughs) Jong-un. And they sent some flunkies around from the embassy to tell them to take the poster down. (laughs) Yes, this is, I mean, look, most of the embassies are in central London. They have flags outside, you know armed guards or police or whatever. Yes. North Korea's embassy is a converted five-bedroom house in Ealing. Yes, exactly. And it's yes. weird. It's, it's like, those. you know those roads you drive... When you drive out of town, you get to a certain level, usually sort of zone six. Yeah, yeah just like long straight roads with like Tudor Beethoven stockbroker belt houses just, you know, along the, along the sides of a main yeah. road, basically. That's that, it's Terry and June. They live, in a, they live in Terran June's house, the North Korean embassy. Terran June's house, the only addition to which seems to have been a massive North Korean sculpture thing put over the door. There's like the symbol of North Korea and sort of cast bronze over the door. But other than that, it's just a, it's just a suburban house. So I thought, well, OK, this is promising. Uh, knock at the door. Next step. Um, there's a huge gate. Um, what I thought was the bell was actually the control for the gate, which didn't work. Okay. So I'm then, I can see the front door, and I can see where it is that I should be knocking as a journalist, but I'm on the other side of the big fence that's not moving. And I thought, do I hop the fence? Oh, is that- no. I was, just thinking, <laughs> only, I was just thinking to myself, only a madman would try and hop that fence. No, I decided not to hop the fence, yeah, because I just thought at that point, that kind of looked a bit like trespass. 
And there's you probably know. Alsatians possibly. that will be let loose. Possibly. But it's an interesting building. I mean, it's covered in CCTV. There was a the basketball hoop around the back, which I thought, because Kim Jong-un apparently is a big basketball fan. That's Two true. spanking new Mercedes in the driveway. Like proper, you know, top of the line Mercedes. Probably bulletproof. Possibly bulletproof. And I just thought, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, as, as dogged as I am as a journalist, jumping over the fence in the North Korean embassy just sounds like one of those headlines that appears in the metro the next day. It you know? does. And then all the comments, when it's posted on Facebook, all the comments below are just <laughs> like, what an idiot. He deserved everything he got. Yeah. And I think being tasered can, you know, it can give you nerve damage, which, I, you know. Um, anyway, so I, I don't think they bother with tasering. They just go straight for the lethal option. Yes, probably. possibly, possibly. I sent, as my last resort, I sent a letter by recorded delivery to the North Korean embassy saying, look, you know, these are the allegations. This is what I'm, I'm writing a book. I am after a response. And yes. I sent the letter. And I did get a delivery confirmation. Okay. My letter was signed for by Kim. What? I've no idea which Kim. I don't oh, know. Okay. I don't know. It's right, the right. Kim. I think Kim's quite a popular name in Korea. <laughs> So I know that they've got the thing, and I'm waiting for their response, which still has not arrived. But look, there's a there's um there's a slightly worrying postscript to all this whole thing. Yeah. So the big message of all of this, for me anyway, is how much money you lose when you try this type of cybercrime. Okay. So as I say, 1.2 billion was the amount they went for. 122 million was the amount they got. In Bangladesh Bank's case, they went for a billion. They ended up getting. Well, not even 81 million. Think about it. They've got to pay off the people in the casino, the gamblers. They've got to pay off the money launderers. There's the Chinese guy who went with 30 million. We don't know how much he got out of it. You lose money every step of the way. Yeah. And when you think of the amount they went for originally, a billion, the amount they got at the end must have seemed a bit disappointing. Mm. So they were looking for a way of not losing money through the money laundering process, a cybercrime technique where you get 100% of the profits. And the answer to that unfortunately, is ransomware. And that is the WannaCry story that we've talked about before. And that's the next chapter in the book. Oh, wow. So it all links up. It all links up. Almost like I planned it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So what is the moral of this story? (laughs) You've got to give me a moral. Actually, there was a really easy moral of this story. So when I've talked to people about this, you know, I've done presentations on this and stuff. I said, well, so what could we do? What could we do? Well, you know, you could regulate the casinos in the the Philippines. And that's what they've done. Money laundering now applies to the casinos. Oh, you know, or you could introduce, as you said, in the New York Fed, you could introduce some system that spots when bulk transactions are being done. Yeah. You know, you could protect the SWIFT system in Bangladesh Bank and you could introduce more passwords. And you, could, you could do all that. You could do all of that. Yeah. But this entire story at the very beginning started off with a phishing email. So the one thing you could do is educate your staff that when you're sent a CV by somebody, you send it off to IT support before opening it. The earlier well, interventions... In every com- company, is this just in banks? Or Well, uh, look, the, the, you're asking what the lesson is. The lesson here is... Phishing emails are still, I know this is depressing and I know it's annoying, but they are still the number one way of people breaking in. All right, but you send it to your IT department and, and, you know, if it's a clever enough phishing email, maybe they don't spot the problem either. Possibly so, but at least you've done something. As I say, if if you're after a lesson from this... At least you can blame Jim in IT. Exactly, blame Jim in IT, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of calling the book... Goes to prison for 67 years. I know, I know, but it's him, Glenn, not you. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's the important thing. You were thinking of calling the book. I was thinking of calling the book, don't click on the fucking email. <laughs> but the publisher, you know, we had a discussion and, 
You know, he said that wouldn't do quite so well on Amazon. So, but that is, I mean, look, it, chapter after I chapter. I like that name. Yeah. Why, what would you have called? What, what What is it going to be called there? Uh, the book. I don't know whether I can announce the title yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, in well, due we'll course. Keep that secret. In due course. And of course, yours is called the Crypto Trader. The Crypto Trader. There we go. Indeed, but there's, uh, yeah, it doesn't involve. Uh, well, actually, it does involve various scandals because I talk. Uh, for a couple of chapters in the book about my crazy uh, experiences in the world of cryptocurrency, which of course involves scams mm, aplenty, scams no, plenty. none of which I fell for, but mm. uh, I give some nice examples of, of people who did, because that's the thing with cryptocurrency. Mm. Again, it's all about clicking on the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Cryptocurrency itself is fine as long as, you know, trading it is fine mm. as long as you play it by certain rules. I've never found myself in any trouble, but mm. you click on the wrong thing or trust the wrong person. And it's game over. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that could be our next cybercrime investigations. Let's do a, let's do a crypto fraud. <laughs> Not actually carry it out. Investigate. It. I mean, <laughs> oh, you got me excited there for a minute. <laughs> that was cybercrime investigations with Jeff White and Glenn Goodman. Thanks very much for listening. You can find more of our stuff on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for cybercrime investigations.